Hour number two of Canuck Central is uh, brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. It's Dan Richo and Brendan Batchelor here with you. Our next guest, Laura Robinson, is an award-winning filmmaker, author, and journalist, and author of Crossing the Line, Violence and Sexual Assault in Canada's National Sport. Thanks for this, Laura. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Uh, we are we are well. Thanks for for making time for us today. Uh, it's been um, it's been about 20 years, more than 20 years, since you wrote the book, and with some of the uh, stories that continue to come out even today, uh, it's it's clearly still an issue going on within hockey. What are what are you seeing on on how this has uh, developed in the years since since you wrote your book and how Hockey Canada continues to deal with these situations? Well, I. I knew it would continue because when my book came out, um, Hockey Canada and the CHL and actually all of the smaller provincial organizations completely ignored it. Uh, and um, But after the book came out, many people came forward to me, not just girls and young women who um, alleged they'd been uh, gang raped by hockey players, but also hockey players who had terrible things done to them, sexual assaults done to them during their hazing in their first year. So it's a very um, ugly, vicious cycle of sexual violence that hockey was not prepared to um, address for decades. And it certainly went on before my book came out. Uh, So I'm happy that uh, a climate has been created where people feel that they will be taken seriously and they trust the situation um, because that that hasn't been the case in the past. Has this been a, a hockey specific issue in your estimation? Is it it's something we see in other sports in this country, or or is this an issue that is is very much about hockey and about the culture around this sport in particular? It is very much about hockey, but I think you'll find not dissimilar situations in American football and to some extent uh, soccer in Europe, um, wherever men have uh, male athletes, professional athletes have a huge amount of power, but not just that. I mean, I think what's really important about hockey is that the definition of being a real man has so much to do with intimidation and violence. And um, that those um, values are brought into their sexual lives, usually, you know, through initiations, right? Through that first year as rookies, where they are so degraded sexually and so violated, um, it, they normalize sexual abuse as um, sex. And in fact, no, it's sexual abuse and it's a criminal offense. One one of the, I mean, especially these stories that have come out recently about the 2018 World Junior Team and the one we're finding out about today around uh, the 2003 World Junior roster, uh, and you mentioned it earlier, gang rape. Um, is there something specific about that uh, that is more prevalent in hockey circles as well? Uh, yes, there is something very specific about the gang rapes uh, because very often they absolutely have to videotape it. So it's very voyeuristic, for one thing. Uh, and it's also about the relationship between the between the players. Uh, if we look at what the description was of what happened in Halifax, 
that young woman wasn't conscious. It's not like they were enjoying sex with a female, which is a great thing to have. Consensual sex is wonderful. This is about degrading an unconscious female body. I mean, they, they, they so objectified her. And so what we really need to ask is, what is it about the culture of hockey that makes them want to degrade her to that extent? And, and um, why is it so important for them to destroy her life just so they can um, have this team, sick team bonding? You touched on this earlier, but, you know, as you said, when your book came out initially that a lot of the stakeholders in the sport sort of ignored some of the things that you had to say in it or or all of the things that you had to say in it, I guess. Uh, So to what degree then have organizations like Hockey Canada and other stakeholders within the game enabled this sort of thing to continue or protected the people that uh, ultimately have committed a criminal offense, allegedly, in some of these cases? Well, I think what, certainly Hockey Canada's, um, you know, multi-million dollar slush fund uh, to, um, you know, just pay people. I don't, and I don't mean pay them off at all. I mean, compensate them for what has happened to them and uh, to have it all leave quietly shows us that they're not, they never, um addressed the deep roots of these misogynistic assaults. And they have still, as far as I'm concerned, not addressed the deep roots of the hazings that the guys go through that is sexual assault. Like no one, I mean, it's, it's banned, hazing's banned. It didn't mean it ever disappeared at all. Yeah. And it's something um, <laughs> that has definitely been a part of junior hockey for, for, for many years, we've heard stories, we've seen how it, it persists, and even uh, most recently in 2020 with uh, the story that went around the CHL and the class action lawsuit uh, that has been laid in that situation. So it, this is, is clearly something that, that has continued to go on, and we wonder what, what can bring meaningful change in this sort of situation, but it definitely feels systemic from the organizational perspective, uh, from a almost it feels like untouchable you know when you're playing junior hockey in these small towns you're 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 protected by so many different layers of of the system how do you create systemic change to begin the process of creating a better environment for young adults and building better young adults well first of all we have to stop idolizing junior hockey players and all hockey players you know they're they're very good at what they do beginning and end it's they're not a better human being because they can get a puck in the net and they're marketed as if they're young gods and they start to believe that they're young gods and unfortunately you know in small town canada uh it's still um there aren't opportunities for females to really i think excel at sport the way there are for males and and girls also learn that their relationship with hockey is through a junior player instead of through their own abilities as an athlete. So we really need to make far more opportunities available for young girls and women so they don't think that getting invited to a hockey party is a great thing. I think we need young 
all of these young women need to know getting an, invited to a hockey party, all the red flags should go up. What about for women who have been the victims of some of these assaults? What's it like or how challenging can it be for them to come forward and what can be done to support some of the victims of these horrifying acts to, you know, make sure that they are coming forward, that they are being supported and that, you know, the people that have ultimately committed these crimes pay for their actions. Well, I do feel now that there is a, um, an environment has been created in which uh, young women will be able to come forward and be taken seriously and feel that they're going to be taken seriously. Uh, and I think we also need to uh, just let them know that they that their story is very important and um, there there is a good there are places to tell it. It may be not be the police because very few sexual assaults of any kind ever get conviction. So I certainly understand hesitation to go to the police. Um, However, you know, the police that I interviewed in my book, they did a very good job. And they, uh, you know, right across Canada, tried to get convictions, but had very few convictions. Um, this is in the uh, going back to 89, right up to 98. So uh, I think there's a lot of things we can do uh, in terms of women's organizations to let these young women know that that there's uh, groups who want to hear from them and help them. It does still feel, though, to some level that victim shaming and victim doubting is still very much a problem. It is a huge problem. Most of the girls who I interviewed, and they they were women by the time I interviewed them for the most part, but they were girls, pretty much. Not They were still children when they alleged uh, being sexually assaulted by hockey players. Um, they left their towns. In fact, two of them, two women contacted me during the Vancouver Olympics when I was a journalist uh, covering the Winter Olympics. They left the country. They could not stay in Canada. It's, you know, because some of the stories that we've seen and and even through the years going going back into the 90s, Laura, you know, it's uh, you'll you'll see quotes from. Uh, organizational leaders uh, essentially saying, uh, you know, well, she she can't be believed. And, and we're seeing that play out in court and how, you know, some of the accused are are defended. It, it just feels like th- this is one of the main reasons why it is so hard as a victim to come forward. That's correct. So hockey, you know, alleging that a, a famous hockey player uh, sexually assaulted you um, is is a very difficult thing to say, and you, I can't imagine why anyone would want to have that kind of attention and stress on their life unless uh, what happened was really a terrible thing and justice needed to be served. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, in sexual assault cases, yes, it's usually the victim who becomes the perpetrator somehow the person not to be believed. She's perpetrating a set of lies. Is, um, is, what is the main thing Hockey Canada can do? Is it really devoting resources to developing knowledge on how to deal with these situations when they come about? Is it educating our young people, even 
more in, in school when they're still 10, 11, 12 years old uh, on, on the rights and wrongs of, of sexual situations. Well, I do think that education is really important in school. But don't forget, I mean, junior hockey teams, CHL teams are marketed. You know, they come into the school and the kids can't wait for them to get there, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, this whole way in which the junior hockey player is is marketed as some kind of a god uh, in small-town Canada, and not so small-town Canada, right? There's lots of CHL teams in cities. That to me it will these things will always occur as long as they are understood in this um holier than thou kind of uh light so i don't think that hockey players are any more important than any other canadian uh and all people matter so we have to i think start speaking like that all human beings matter equally and you know we have to ask ourselves do we really what are we doing when we build these huge arenas where only men play? And that's the other really big part of this. As long as we're just thinking about hockey and seeing a guy under that helmet, this will continue. We're not hearing um, reports of the women's national junior team gang raping anyone. And we have to ask ourselves very hard questions about why it is that a male junior team will do this and and you would never it just will not happen with a female junior team and what is it that Canada has made our junior male hockey players into Laura we really appreciate your time and and your insights on this subject um, it's been enlightening for us and our listeners thank you for this thank you thank you Laura uh, there is uh, Laura Robinson author of crossing the line violence and sexual assault in Canada's national sport And the thing about um, this is she wrote the book, was published in 1998. We have stories from the early 90s, from the late 80s. Graham James, go on and on, that have been happening in our sport for so long. And yet here we are in 2022 and more and more stories are coming about. And this isn't just a a situation too, where, you know, in the case of the allegations today, yes, that's the 2003 team. That's 19 years ago, but there's an ongoing investigation into the 2018 world junior team. Yes. So this is not, you know, people feeling comfortable coming forward because of the way society has changed over the last 20 years. Although there certainly is an element of that in some of these allegations that we're now hearing about, but this is an ongoing issue. And until people in hockey take it seriously, and, you know, as she alluded to when she released the book, none of her findings and none of the things she had to say were taken seriously by Hockey Canada or by some of the other stakeholders in the sport. You know, until we see meaningful change, and hopefully what's happening now with Hockey Canada and how public this is getting and now that the government is getting involved in investigating hockey mm-hmm. canada hopefully the spotlight that is being shone on this leads to meaningful change but you know some of the points she made were very valid too that you know and until we reframe the way that we look at athletes mm-hmm. you know it's hard to believe that that 
incredible, meaningful change is going to happen in this regard. They are glorified. And the World Junior Team specifically glorified. And how does that change? How do you create systemic change? Those are questions I don't have the answers to. None of us do. And I wish that there was a more clear path forward. But this behavior is abhorrent. The stories that we're reading are disgusting. They make you sick to your stomach. It's incredible to me that there are so many of these types of stories that are so similar in their nature as well. It has to make you think what the bleep is going on here and why is it continuing to happen? Period. Bottom line. And if people's heads have to roll because of this, that is a reality that we all have to live with because there's been a failure of how these organizations have been run, how these young people have been brought up, and why these situations continue to happen around the sport of hockey. And it's not solely in hockey. It does happen in other sports, and it does happen in society as a whole. But it's clear that there is a culture of this type of gang rape happening in hockey specifically. And we have to start doing things that begin meaningful change, trying to sweep things under the rug, allowing some players, some athletes to feel as though they are untouchable, that cannot continue to happen. And that's where Hockey Canada finds itself today. We need to start seeing some change. And there needs to be meaningful change within the organization and across the junior hockey organizations across the country and even at lower levels beyond that. Um, And generally just across the sport as a whole. It is, you know, largely a junior hockey issue, but, you know, it's with some of the allegations we've seen in this city specifically in a case that's going on right now, it's not just about junior hockey. 100%. It's uh, across the board. Dan Riccio and uh, Brendan Batchelor. We are Canuck Central. Coming up, uh, we will take your questions to close out the week here on Canuck Central.